Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast today. We're entering into the Advent season through the book of Luke as we see the birth of Jesus and his childhood years. We're really excited to share that with you and hope that this season will be enveloped by remembering Jesus coming to be with us. We'd also want to invite you to partner with us financially. We have a few missionaries that you can find on our website that have really blessed our church by doing college ministry. And also we have seminarians that we want to invite our listeners to support as well. We're starting a church residency program, praying to uh, see God raise up the next generation of pastors at Renew Church. You can find all that information at the description section. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. I'm sure you're excited about this day, the day of our Lord's birth, or we celebrate our Lord's birth. Uh, If I could have your attention up here. All right. I know I was overhearing a little bit about, you know, just the different memories that you might have had. I hope you had some really great memories that you were able to share, maybe by way of tradition or food or uh, location, or maybe a different toy uh, that you remember as a kid. Uh, My favorite memory uh, was opening up Santa Claus's present, okay? For me, Christmas was all about the present. And on Christmas Day, under the tree, uh, Santa Claus's present was always, first and foremost, the biggest and the greatest gift under the Christmas tree. I remember one year, I got a Star Wars Millennium Falcon. You can imagine, as a little kid, getting that huge toy. I've been asking my parents forever, and they, they would never buy it for me, right? But they'd say, wait until Santa Claus hears that, and he'll get you that present. And so I always got huge presents from Santa Claus. And so Santa Claus was my favorite person in the world, okay? He was my hero. And so one Christmas was actually the bestest Christmas of all time. Our little Korean church, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, Our little Korean church of about 150 people in Toledo, Ohio, scheduled Santa Claus to come. I'm like, what? How'd they get Santa Claus to come to our little Korean church, right? But they scheduled a meet and greet with Santa Claus where he was going to come and bring us presents. And I was so excited to finally meet my hero for the first time. And so when I finally met him, though, it was the weirdest thing. It was so awkward because Santa Claus looked incredibly Asian, okay? He really did. And Santa Claus had a thick Korean accent. So instead of ho, 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 Merry Christmas, he would say, ha, 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 Merry Christmas, right? And I just thought it was the weirdest thing. And this Santa Claus would kind of mix up Korean and English, and he would be giving out presents. And at the end, I'll never forget this, at the end, He sang, jingle bears, jingle bears, jingle all the bears, right? And he left. And you know, at that point, I know, thanks, thanks, thanks for that. At that point, I became an atheist, okay? Because I realized, oh my gosh, that was my dad. Only, only he sings jingle bears, okay? Jingle bears. And so I knew that it was my dad, and I knew Santa Claus wasn't real, okay? And actually, yesterday, if you could put a picture up, yeah, my, me and my dad, uh, it was his birthday, uh, it's his birthday Christmas Eve. I actually shared that story with him, and he just kind of laughed, 
we just had a great time talking about that memory because I think that was the only time he ever played Santa Claus at Korean church, okay? And it was, it was the craziest thing. But you know what? That's when I realized, and I realized something very profound, that Christmas is still about the present. Christmas will always be about the present. But the present isn't toys or games or clothes or jewelry because these presents are not permanent. Uh, they break. They lose their appeal, right? Uh, people get tired of them. Christmas is about receiving a permanent present, really the greatest present that has ever been given. This present will never fail. It will never break. And it is the gift that the Father gives of his son, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. There's a bumper sticker uh, that people know. It, it rhymes. It says, Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's so true. And even though that's cliche and we've seen the bumper stickers before, it has such a profound truth. Jesus is the reason for Christmas. And so if we can put away all the distractions, all the different things that we think about uh, for Christmas, and if we focus on Jesus, uh, we see a, a tremendous, tremendous uh, encouraging truth that comes out. So if you would uh, focus on the Lord today by turning to Luke chapter 2, uh, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story, something that you've heard over and over again. If you don't have your Bibles, you can look on uh, up front. Uh, we have it uh, here, but Luke chapter 2, let me begin reading the Word of God to you. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room, for, uh, no, no room excuse me, available for them. You know, we know the Christmas story. We've heard it ever since we were a kid. But as we read this story, I want to study two truths from Luke 2. Two truths from Luke 2 that will, I believe, give us incredible encouragement this Christmas. So the first point, if you're taking notes, is that God is sovereign over our lives. That God is sovereign over our lives. We call it the hand of providence. That God's invisible hand is superintending all of the different things that happen in our day-to-day -day lives. Let's look in verse 1. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Let me stop right there. Let me ask you a question. Who here knows much about Caesar Augustus? Can I get a show of hands? How many of you know a lot about Caesar Augustus? Raise your hand. Okay. Maybe one or two of you. I can raise my hand, uh, but not many. He was the most powerful, most influential, most important, most popular, most significant man of his time. His name was Octavian, or Julius Octavius. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar from the history books. Now, his title was given to him by the Roman Senate, and he was given the title Augustus, which means the exalted one, the majestic one. He was so loved during his rule 
that there was a plaque in Rome that was dedicated to him that actually read Savior of the World. He was so revered that at his death, the Roman Senate and the people deified him as a god. And you know what's interesting? Only historians know about him today. We talk about him this morning only briefly because God's word mentions him briefly. He is not the focus of the Christmas story at all. What does this tell us? That God uses the arrogant, worldly, secular leader to fulfill his word of prophecy in the Old Testament. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, this is an Old Testament prophecy. Uh, if we could put it up. It, here the prophet prophesies this way. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now this prophecy was a messianic prophecy. That means that it had to be filled, fulfilled by the Messiah. So Jesus had to completely fulfill this biblical prophecy. He could not have been born anywhere else and be the savior of the world, according to this messianic prophecy. So here's my question. How do you get a young couple who live all the way up in northern Israel, in Nazareth, to come all the way down to southern Israel, to Bethlehem, to have a baby? Enter an imperial decree. Here, God engineers an imperial decree. Verse 1, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that all the world would be registered. Verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. Verse 4, so Joseph went up from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You see, God can sovereignly use secular situations. He can use godless people to fulfill his plans and purposes. Caesar's whole reason for a census was taxing the Roman Empire. This was purely done for his rule, for his wealthy interests. This leader was thinking of himself, his greatness. But here God uses him to fulfill his prophetic word. Proverbs 21.1 uh, says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Isn't it ironic that it appears to the world that Mary and Joseph were helpless, hapless pawns in Caesar's grand design? Yet in reality, it was Caesar who was the true pawn in God's plan to bring forth the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the world. And isn't it ironic that everyone in the first century knew about Caesar Augustus and no one knew about Mary and Joseph? Yet all throughout history into the 21st century, only a handful of scholars know about Caesar Augustus, while everyone knows the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, who is the Messiah. You see, God is sovereign over human plans. His providential hand superintends all of life. He works all things together for his good. If you are a child of God here this morning, God knows what he's doing. God has planned out his good. And we can rest peacefully knowing that he has a will to bring his plans to fruition. We don't need to live in fear of the future. We don't need to be anxious when things happen in our lives. We can live by faith that the future is in God's control. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. You see, God can sovereignly use even difficult situations. 
He can use hardships. He can use persecution. He can use trials to fulfill his plan. No one would have ever said that Mary and Joseph were out of the will of God in going to Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, we read this and we know it was the perfect prophetic will of God that Mary and Joseph were to travel to Bethlehem. Yet I don't know if many of you know this, it was difficult for them. It was a, a road paved with suffering and trials and hardships. For one thing, the trip was 90 miles on donkey. It would have taken 12 to 15 days of strenuous travel to get there. And Mary was in her uh, full term of pregnancy. You see, God's will was a long, agonizing trip from northern Nazareth to southern Bethlehem. Let me give you another one. There was no room for the delivery. So the baby was born in a stable, among animals, in a manger. If you guys don't know what a manger is, it's a feeding trough for animals. How many moms would have been okay with that? Yet God's will allowed humbling, even humiliating circumstances to happen in their lives. Not only that, let me give you another one. King Herod sent soldiers to murder their baby for fear of the rival king being born in Israel. And so God's will involved persecution in their lives. God's will included loneliness and isolation, being forced into an uncomfortable foreign place like Egypt. Yet, they were in the very center of God's will. You see, many of us may be going through difficult situations right now in our lives. And in the world's eyes, it looks like no one is in control. But this Christmas story shows us that God is sovereign over the life of a child of God. And he is in total control of the difficult situations that they are facing in their lives. Let me ask you this question. What is your Caesar Augustus this morning? Those situations that are completely out of your control. What is the Roman census that you're facing? The thing that is so hard to manage and complete in your life. What are your mangers? Those unexpected humbling circumstances that leave you feeling so small and so insignificant. Who are your Herods? Those people who attack you and persecute you. What is your Egypt? Those places that leave you dry and isolated, even uncomfortable in your life. Do you know that they're all a part of God's plan? That they're all a part of God's sovereign design? When you need to realize that God is sovereign over your lives. He uses Caesars and censuses, mangers and Herods. He uses even Egypt, all of it, for his providential hand is molding and making you into what he desires you to be for his glory. You see, we need to understand, first of all, that God is sovereign over our lives. You know what else the Christmas story teaches us, and it's beautiful, is that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Write that down. That God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. When you read this passage, you can't help but see the ordinary in every single verse. Verse 4, so Joseph went up from a town in Nazareth in Galilee. Who was Joseph? Joseph was an ordinary blue-collar guy. He comes from an ordinary, insignificant town called Nazareth. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1 and verse 46, when the disciples tell Nathanael, We've seen the Messiah. He is from Nazareth. Do you know what Nathaniel says? He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? That's the motto of Nazareth. Nazareth, 
Can anything good come from there? Because it was insignificant. It was not a place that any uh, important person would have come from in the eyes of the Israelites. Yet, God uses the ordinary. Verse 5, with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Mary was an ordinary, poor teenager. Uh, uh, Historians say she must have been from 16 to 18 years of age, and she was pregnant. Imagine one of the greatest miraculous signs of Messiah, the virgin birth, prophesied hundreds of years before, happened by way of a lowly peasant girl. That's ordinary. Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. What's a manger? Well, it's a feeding trough. Doesn't it seem awkward and out of place? That the king of kings and the lord of lords was born in a feeding trough for animals. Now think about this. Shouldn't Jesus have been born in the finest of palaces? Shouldn't he have had the who's who of humanity come and dote on him and adore him and celebrate him? Yet we see that God's ways are not our ways. When God the Father sent God the Son to this earth and clothed him in human flesh, how did he present him to the world? The prophet Isaiah prophesies in, uh, in chapter 53, he says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You see, God's extraordinary gift was packaged in ordinary wrapping paper. God is always delighted in the ordinary. Did you know that God is in the habit of using the ordinary? If you look at the Bible characters that we've studied in the past, you look at David. He was the last son of Jesse, a shepherd boy in the backside of a desert. Think of Elijah, a hillbilly hick from the outskirts of Israel, from a little town called Tishbe in Gilead. If you look at the prophets, almost all of them were simple country folk. In the New Testament, look at the disciples. Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, all blue-collar fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. Simeon, or Simon, was a renegade zealot. These were all ordinary men. Have you ever thought, why does God delight in the ordinary? Why does he choose the ordinary? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if we could put it up here, one of my favorite verses in all the world says this. In verse 26, for consider your calling. Not many of you were wise by worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no one may boast in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Verse 31 says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, God delights in using the ordinary because the ordinary know that it's not about them. That they have nothing in them of themselves to bring to the table. No pride, no arrogance, no conceit, no hubris. They know that the only person that deserves glory, that deserves boasting, is the Lord. So that when God takes the ordinary person and does the extraordinary through him or her, 
All glory is rightly given to God. Can I ask you this morning, are you ordinary? You're exactly God's type. Do you feel average? Do you feel obscure? Do you feel weak? That's exactly the kind of person that God delights to use and to choose. Amen? Let me give you something a little bit more, and then I'm done. In Luke chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 18, or verse 8, excuse me. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But an angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. Now think about this. This is one of the craziest scenes in all of the Bible. Imagine, I don't know how many a heavenly host would be, but it's hundreds, maybe thousands of angels lighting up the night sky in an instant. And here they're announcing the birth of Jesus, the Son of God. And they're announcing it in a majestic way, bigger than any Vegas show could show you, right? But who are they announcing it to? To a group of 10 to 15 shepherds in an obscure field. Doesn't that seem incredibly anticlimactic to you? Thousands of angels to 10 and 15 shepherds. Why? Why does the Bible record this? We know that God delights in the ordinary, and the shepherds were definitely ordinary, but I believe there's more to it. Now, when I did this study, I was shocked. And you probably knew about this. I did not. But did you know shepherds were seen as the lowest of the low in Jewish society during Jesus' time? In the beginning of the first century, shepherds were seen as pariah. They were barely above tax collector and leopard. Uh, leopard, leper, excuse me. It was tax collector at the lowest, then leper, then shepherd. Okay? And in Jesus' time, shepherds were despised. The rabbis referred to shepherds as sinners. The Mishnah taught no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Just, just leave him there, okay? The rabbis taught to buy uh, wool, milk, or a goat from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it was stolen property, okay? I'm not joking with you. These aren't jokes. This is actually true. The documents of the day said that a shepherd could not be admitted to court as a witness in a trial. Think about this. In Jesus' day, they were insignificant, they were unimportant, they were the outcasts. That's what they were. They weren't just ordinary, they were outcasts. So let me ask you this. In this Christmas story, who does God command his angels to announce the birth of his son to? Shepherds. Who was honored with the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah? Everybody was waiting him. Who was it? It was shepherds. Who were the witnesses to Jesus' birth? The witnesses. They were shepherds. You see, God highlights the outcast shepherds in the announcement of Jesus' birth. And when you think about it, isn't that the whole point of Christmas? Isn't that exactly why Jesus came to this earth? Jesus came to include the outcast. 
When we study the gospel, we see that it's all about how God, how humanity was cast out of Eden because of sin and disobedience. So technically, we are all outcasts. But God the Father sent his son into a world of outcasts. Jesus was born into this fallen, broken world to save us from our sins and to reconcile us back to him and to the Father. Isn't that glorious? This is what Christmas is all about. It is God sending Jesus to an outcast world. And that is the reason why we celebrate, not with the distractions of presents and celebrations and festivities, that's all well and good, but it's for us to remember the true meaning of Christmas. I end with this story, it's one of my favorite stories. Many of you have heard it before, I'm gonna give it again, okay, sorry about that, but it's one of my favorite stories, and it's Christmas, so I'm gonna share this, okay? All right, this is a true story, and a businessman came home tired at the end of the, at the, end of the day. And his 17-year-old son came to him with a baseball glove in his hand and a ball in his hand. And he said, Dad, you promised that you'd play catch with me. The man said, I know, son, but I'm exhausted. Maybe another time. But the 7-year-old, being a little kid, kept pleading and persisting and persevering. Dad, you promised, you promised, you promised. Until finally the businessman, angry and irritated, took the newspaper. It was in the 80s, right? So he was reading a newspaper. And in his hand, in the newspaper, it had a big picture of the map of the world on there with, with uh, countries and capitals. And he had an idea. He was angry. He had this idea. He started to rip up that map. And he started ripping it up and throwing it to the ground. And he told his son, if you can put this map back together with all the countries and capitals, if you can do this, then I'll play ball with you. What a jerk, right? But he was thinking to himself, oh, this will give me all night. I mean, he's only seven years old. He's not going to be able to do this, right? And so his son took that, and he went away. And a little while later, the boy returned with a taped-up map put perfectly back together. All the countries and capitals were in the right place. Astonished, the businessman thought, maybe I have a genius on my hands, right? And he asked the son, he said, how did you do this? where the seven-year-old boy replied. He said, on the other side of the map was a picture of a big man. And I knew that if I taped up the big man, the rest of the world would be okay. Isn't that a great story? <laughs> if I focus on the man, then everything else will fall into place. Well, the man had to go outside and play with his son, right? He learned a lesson that day. What do I, what do I want you to know? I want you to know that in life, 2022 and in 2023, we are going to have so many things happen to shake our world, to rock our world. We're going to have so many things that will keep us busy in the world. But can I remind you that if you focus on the man, then everything else will fall into place. You see, as, as Christians, Christmas is all about the present. It's all about Jesus the Messiah. When we fix our eyes on Jesus the Messiah... When we focus on the man, Jesus Christ, then everything else is going to fall into place. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us afresh and anew about what it means to live life committed to you. We pray that we would fix our eyes on you, not only this Christmas season, but even after into the new year. We pray that we would focus on you. And as we do, Lord, the trials and the 
uh, temptations and the, the difficulties, Lord, uh, we can take because you are enough. Lord, you give us abundance in you. We pray that as the vine is, as the branches are to the vine, that we would continue to remain in Jesus our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Since I have you here, I wanted to give you a few more resources and talk about how you can invest in our ministry. If you look at the description section of this podcast, we have a website for the church and would love to have you come visit us when you're in town. We're in Brea, California. We also have tax-deductible giving at Renew, and we would love for you to invest in our church and our seminarians as we have people coming in to become future missionaries and pastors at Renew. We want to train up the next generation of pastors to reach their generation for the Lord. There's also a few more resources. At the very bottom, I do a podcast with Roy Kim, who's an MFT. It's called The Same Boat, where we talk about issues from English ministries at immigrant Chinese churches to relationships and being single. I hope that you would enjoy this podcast with us as a way to talk off the pulpit and into our daily lives. And lastly, Nina and I wrote a children's book series called To Be, helping kids integrate their faith with their occupation. And on that website, there's also the adulting journal. If you're in your 20s or 30s and you're going through transition in career, relationship, or just rethinking your spirituality, this is a great space for you to examine inward and find what God has written on your hearts and in your values. I hope that those resources uh, would connect with your heart and that you would connect with us. God bless.